Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Baltimore is listening. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Here's Max and Steven. What I am displaying, a different kind of rapper language that I am saying to all the party people, that exorbitant but info. When it comes to rockin' parties, I am a info maniac, brainiac for doing my dancing. My record can make the music. We'll put you in a trance and trance. Hello and welcome in to Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. What's up, Stephen Wallman? We're live here in the studio today, July 18th. So if you don't believe us, give us a call here, and you can talk to our man in the in the booth, engineer Noah. The number is 410-922-6680. Man in the booth. Yeah. Um, actually, Noah the Engineer. Sorry, it's not, it, it, I said it wrong. Sorry. The man in the control booth. That's right. 410-922-6680. What's important to know about that number is you can give us a call. You can give us a call. You can get on the radio, potentially, if you have a good question. If not, you can just leave it with Noah, and uh, we'll be sure to hopefully make some time and get it read right on the air. Max, tell us about your song choice today. Bismarck, well, so our guest today, which we haven't gotten to yet, she's a fan of 80s uh, rap, as we are, and Bismarck E, unfortunately, just passed away, I think it was yesterday, he was 57 years old. May he um, rest in peace, I think it was Friday evening. Yeah, Nobody Beats the Biz, uh, the song I played was a 1988 tune by him, one of my favorites, and uh, anyway, that's why. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Rest in beats, they say, rest in beats. Rest in beats. For the clown prince <laughs> of hip-hop, as he was known. Anyway... Uh, thanks for playing that song, and of course, we want to pay our respects to him and his family. Uh, in addition to our guest that we're interviewing this week, we do have Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez from Atlantis Medical Wellness Center joining us in Dr. G's Corner. Always great to hear from him, see him, That's and right. hear sage advice. That's right. Um, and look, as, as with anything in life, um, a lack of understanding generates a lot of fear. Ain't that the truth? You know, today we're going to be talking about um, our relationship with something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable in many different ways. Hmm. Um, we're going to talk about bugs <sighs> and, uh, and cannabis and, and us. And uh, Max, what's your feeling about spiders? Yeah, you got to burn them with fire along with clowns. That's what I, that's what I think. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're going to learn a lot about that today, especially how to do this safely and, um, and care for uh, our plants primarily and ourselves. But before we introduce our brilliant guest i would like to let you know that for any reason if you miss our show if you doze off for some reason you can always catch replays online right max where do they do that www.understandingcbd.com there's a tab there for our show and then there's a button there for you to listen live you can also stream all previous episodes right there on the website and you can also use any favorite podcast service you use to uh to uh to listen to our episodes you can also check us out on youtube that's youtube.com forward slash understand CBD. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, before we get to the news, Max. Hotline? 
and introduce our fantastic guest. Uh, I want you to know that Understanding CBD is brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Please stop by their website at www.maxandstevens.com. Pick up a bottle. You can also call or text them at 443-743-2444. They're always, we're always happy to help. Indeed. And um, also, we have a new cream, a roll-on, that just hit the website last week. So you want to you wanna check that out for all of you that have been hounding us for a topical cream. We've got your answer. Also, a quick gentle reminder to everybody, don't take anything said on this program as professional, medical, legal, or financial advice. Um, that's not what we're here for. We're here to entertain you. And now, without further ado, I want to talk about our special guest today. Suzanne Wainwright-Evans, she's a horticultural entomologist specializing in integrated pest management. Suzanne's been involved in the green industry for more than 30 years with a primary focus on biological control and using pesticides properly. She's a graduate of the University of Florida with degrees in both entomology and environmental horticulture. She's worked throughout the United States and internationally consulting the greenhouses, nurseries, landscapers, cannabis production, and interiorscape companies. Additionally, Suzanne has published articles in trade magazines and scientific journals. She teaches workshop, workshops and lectures professionally to industry groups, bringing her scientific as well as practical approach to learning. Her lectures use her extensive library of insect photos and macro insect movies. She's the owner of Bug Lady Consultant, Consulting, now in business 21 years. Suzanne lives in Pennsylvania with her husband, one dog, three cats, in a log home built in the 1820s. Welcome to Understanding CBD, Suzanne. We're happy to have you. Well, thanks for inviting me to join you guys today. Yes, that's awesome. We're happy for you uh, joining us. So thanks for getting it in here uh, and getting the Zoom correct and the call in correct. It can be one of the most difficult things, Max, as sure. we've learned. Indeed. Um, but uh, a lot of people may not know what a horticultural entomologist is. And it, just to let you know, it's a, it's a very intelligent person that geeks out on bugs and the relationship between plants and people. Is that fair, Suzanne? Yeah, and I I focus more on specialty crops. Like I don't work in soybeans and corn. I work in like greenhouse production with poinsettias and orchids and bedding plants, cannabis, hemp, hydroponic lettuce, things that aren't considered traditional big ag. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's a good distinction because um, we're, that's what we're going to exactly talk about today. Right. And um, I know you love bugs. Do you get mad when people call them pests? Yes, not mad. I just, I just, um, I think it's just they haven't been educated properly. Right. So, but seriously, how did you catch the bug for entomology? Um, when I was in middle school, um, I was climbing a tree and I came across a patch of bark lice on a tree, and I just thought there was the coolest thing I'd ever, ever, ever seen. And I, I swear, it like chemically altered my brain, and I just became obsessed with insects. And my mom got me. Um, a book by David Suzuki on insects, and I just decided this is what I wanted to do with my life, and I've just not had any other focus besides this. Now, in your lectures, you use a lot of insect photos and macro insect movies. What are macro mm -hmm. movies? Well, they're really close up where um, I have images or videos of, like, aphids giving birth to their babies and mites laying eggs and predatory mites eating the other mites. So that people can see what's happening close up on a microscopic level. Interesting. Yeah, fascinating. So that that kind of clears up the the bug side. Now, where did you uh, cultivate your passion for um, plants? 
I've just, again, always loved plants. Um, I, my poor parents, when I was a kid, they'd come home and I would have dug up and re-landscaped the yard by moving everything around um, because I just, I love being outside. I love being in nature. And I knew I did not want a job where I was going to work in a, indoors in a cubicle. I just wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, I know we, we stepped away from bugs already, but I do want to ask you, do you have a favorite bug? Because my next question is going to be, do you have a favorite plant? So mm-hmm. bugs, I love aphids. Um, I absolutely, they're just absolutely incredible um, how they don't have to have males to reproduce, how they have such a high reproductive number, and you can find them almost everywhere. Wait a minute. So they, ab- they don't need males to reproduce. So there's, so, can you explain that a little Are bit more? Are they asexual? So what happens is the females basically essentially are born pregnant Um and their babies are clones of themselves. So all during the summer months, the female aphids are having live birth. They don't lay eggs. And they have live babies just pop out the back door several a day. And then eventually what happens in fall outside in the north is when the days get shorter, it gets cooler. They'll actually produce some males. And then the males will meet with the females and lay eggs. And that's how they overwinter. But throughout all the year, they're nothing but females, and down in like South Florida, it's just female reproduction all the time. So um, the the males lay eggs? No, the females lay eggs. Okay. They have to mate to, in order to lay the eggs. And um, I mean, there's lots of actually insects and mites that do that. Uh, female spider mites can lay eggs if they're unmated, but they're all going to be male offspring. And then the mom mates with her sons. And then she can produce female offsprings once she's mated. Crazy. Well, this is why it only takes one. Just bringing in one aphid, one thrip, things like this, your numbers can get out of control. Um, You don't have to have a male and female. Now, Suzanne, you were talking about in warmer climates, the female aphids, um, because the temperature doesn't drop for them to start producing males. What happens with them? They just continue to run that? They just continue to reproduce. it, it's because they need, in colder environments, they have to overwinter as eggs. And when it's warmer, you don't have to overwinter as eggs because there's no winter. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So now let's get to your favorite plants. Do you have a favorite plant? Mm, uh, Put you on the spot here. Yeah. Well, I like lots of them. I can tell you I don't like poinsettias and crotons. There's my two. I'm just sick of working with them and if I never saw another poinsettia or croton I'd be okay but um, I do love um, well I love spider plants believe it or not they're very basic and simple but I find it really fascinating that the plants actually a chimera that the white part of the leaf and the green part of the leaf have different genetics Um, and so I find that really fascinating that you can have a plant where you take samples from two different parts of the leaves they'd have a different genetic makeup well you know I I uh was was kind of hoping you were going to say cannabis. Kind of deflated. You know, I was a little deflated, but, you know, mm. where does it fall on the list? You know, is it a close second, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? I love problem solving in the crop because there's not been a lot of research done and it, it's new and it's interesting. And I'm out there able to problem solve on, on the fly. And we're doing lots of trials and tests to see what we can get working. But in a way, and I know everybody cringes when I say this, it's another crop to me Uh um, with a special set of kind of 
unknown pest because we still don't know the full pest complex. We have new stuff that pops up all the time. And I like the challenge of that. But I don't like coming out of the crop all sticky. There's a very sticky crop to work in once it's in flower. Do aphids like the cannabis plant? Oh, yeah. Really? They do. Well, we have some questions. Oh, yeah. We have we have some questions about that for sure. Um, we do want to take a short break. We're talking with Suzanne Wainwright Evans. We're shining a light on bugs, plants, and cannabis. So much more to tell you about this. So uh, make sure you take around. more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Welcome back, Stephen Wallman. Hey, we're just bugging here with uh, Suzanne Rain- Wainwright Evans. Uh, horticultural entomologist, owner of Bug Lady Consulting. Did you know that? Um, you definitely want to get a hold of her. We actually, uh, over the break, we got a question. Um, uh, Suzanne, that wasn't the song we have chosen for you. Noah's promised he'll get it queued up at another time, so just just hold on there, okay? we got Suzanne? another song surprise for you. Yeah, we do, we do. Um, as, uh, you know, as it all coincidence works out, we actually got a question over the break related to your questions about aphids that you left off on. And um, the question is, I have aphids on my plant. How do I kill it? You know, my question was, um, are aphids um, good or bad? But I guess someone's trying to get them off their, uh, their plants. Because they do feed on plants. They have a piercing-sucking mouth part that's like a little straw, and they stick it into the plant, and they suck juices out. Um, and what happens when they do that? They're doing that to get um, nutrients, uh, just like weed, but they need protein and there's not a lot of protein in the plant so they have to take in a lot and what ends up happening is they get a lot of sugars and they have to excrete those sugars out and that actually can then make a sticky substance on the plant and that's usually what people start to see first is little sticky droplets on their plant and that's basically aphid pee that's how big is an a- how can you see them with the naked eye an aphid or is it yeah they're super tiny though you'll just see there's something on the leaf um, but I recommend that if you're going to grow plants, you need to have a, a 10x hand lens so that you can see up close and what's going on. Um, if you do not manage foliar aphids in cannabis, it is going to impact your crop significantly. So you do need to management, manage them. So the first thing I do is, uh, this is exactly what I do. Okay. Oh, we have aphids. What kind of aphid is it? Um, Right now, we're predominantly seeing two different aphid species on the foliage of the plant because there's a different aphid species that lives on the roots. Very different, but they're both, they're all aphids. Um, and then once we know what it is, is kind of how we put the management program together. Um, if you're not in flower, an insecticidal soap is a great way to knock them back. Um, soaps, insecticidal soaps, not Dawn dish soap, but insecticidal soaps are very good for doing that. Um, then for commercial growers, what we often do is we release tiny, tiny, tiny little parasites. They're tiny wasps, 
that are so tiny you wouldn't even notice them. And they fly around the greenhouse or out in the field, and they look for any aphids that are left, and they lay their egg inside of that aphid, and then they eat the inside of the aphid, killing it. That leads me right into Michael. So we, many people, have been brought up incorrectly to dislike bugs or have a fear of bugs generally. And you know, it's incorrect, and I think it's a lot of misinformation. I mean, obviously, right? Um, question is, and you, you, you sort of set it up by talking about the wasps, the tiny wasps. Are there the, what's the difference between good bugs and bad bugs? Are there good bugs versus bad bugs, beneficial bugs versus non-beneficial bugs? I always say it's a matter of opinion, who you are and what you're trying to do. Because if, let's, a good example is there is um, a ladybug that is here now from China um, called Harmonia. It's the Asian multicolored ladybird beetle. If you're a homeowner, you hate them. You consider them a pest because every fall in the Northeast, they come in your house by the hundreds and they can be a real problem. Flip side, if you're a soybean farmer and have aphids, man, you want them out there because they're such aggressive predators on feeding on aphids that they'll eat all the pests up out of your field. So homeowner, eh, don't really like them. If you're a farmer, yeah, we like them. Um, and so you have to look at the insect, identify it, and look at your situation, because I really don't like just to flat out say they're black and white, because I mean, even aphids, we talk about them, they're not good for plants, but they're a food source for lots of other insects. And a lot of those insects that feed on them are also pollinators. Hmm. Well, there's a lot to clearly decide on here. And when you decide between a biological control mechanism or a pesticide, is it often choosing um, which is the um, the lesser, uh, the, of, the two lesser of two weavels? That's my joke. Who is it? Because if for smaller home grows, it's, it's challenging um, to use uh, biocontrol agents because of the cost of shipping. Because okay, can you talk and like, break down, what is a biological control? What would be uh, the examples? Uh, lacewing larvae who eat aphids, these little parasitic wasps who eat aphids. There's predatory mites that eat spider mites. Those are what we consider biological control agents. It's bugs eating bugs, essentially. Okay, okay. All that stuff, and, and these insects I'm talking about, are reared on bug farms, essentially. You've got chicken farms, you've got cow farms, you have bug farms. And these bug farms in these sterile environments grow these insects, so you don't get anything else other than what you ordered. They, since they're living, they have to be FedEx to you overnight. And if you've got one plant, it can get expensive to pay that overnight shipping. If you're growing five acres in the big picture, it's not that expensive. So we kind of look at the economics of it, even though I know more home growers are buying the biocontrol agents because they do not want to use any um, pesticides on their plants, even soaps and oils sometimes. Hmm. Um, so that option is out there for uh, the home um, consumer. But you know, part of my job for commercial growers is to keep them in business. So I also have to look at the economics. And so when we're deciding which path to go, we look at the pests, and then is there a biocontrol agent for it? Because if you have something like spider mites, absolutely. There's lots of insects and mites you can buy that feed on them. But let's say you have mealybugs. Mm, there's not a lot of commercially available good bugs that eat mealybugs. So often for mealybugs, we have to spray. So we kind of look at what it is, 
We look at the economics, and we also look at timing of the crop. Because if you are going to harvest in a few days and you have a massive spider mite problem, putting out predatory mites, it's going to be too late. Mm -hmm. They're not going to have enough time to work. And plus, uh, the plants are extremely sticky, and the insects and mites can get caught up in them. So we look at crop scheduling, too. But what I generally tell people is you're going to have insect problems if you grow cannabis. This whole idea of, you know, oh, it's weed, you throw it down, it grows like a weed. No. Um, a lot of pests feed on it. And I try to convince people to get on a preventative program right from the beginning. Um, there's just a couple beneficial insects things. There's one called Phytocelius persimilis. It's a predatory mite that feeds on spider mites. If you do that every couple of weeks, you can prevent having spider mites on your plants. There's another one called cucumeris. sounds like cucumbers because we use a lot in the cucumber industry, but it's cucumeris. That will feed on uh, several thrip species and feed on broad mite, which broad mite's another big problem in the industry. And then also using beneficial nematodes, which are microscopic worms that live in the soil. Those will stop things like fungus gnats. And fungus gnats are tiny little maggots that live in your soil and eat your roots of your plants. Gross. Um, question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so farms, bug farms, um, who regulates them? Who makes Because you mentioned that, that farmers source from bug farms or people can source from there. Who regulates those bug farms? The USDA. There is a ton of behind-the-scenes permitting done. You cannot just be like, hey, I'm going to start a bug farm and sell bugs. It is highly regulated um, because they don't want people rearing invasives. They don't want people sending bugs to parts of the country where they shouldn't be. So it, it is all federally regulated. And even some of the states have their own regulations on top of the federal regulations. Hmm. That's interesting. Good it's, it's like raising cows, you know, raising bugs, crickets, whatever. Chickens. Yep. You know, it's, 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 it's regulated. Now, on the other side with pesticides, can you explain to us what pesticides are and how they work? So pesticide, um, you know, because side means to kill. Um, pest, you know, to kill anything that's pesty. Under that, you kind of can break out to you have miticides, which target mites. You have insecticides, which target insects. So you have fungicides, kills fungus. So you have different groups that are under this bubble of pesticides, and those are highly regulated by the EPA. Um, it takes about 10 years now to get a new pesticide to market because of all the requirements and pollinator safety testing, human safety testing, and all of that. But again, sometimes when we're growing these massive monocultures and they're getting pushed with a lot of fertilizer, you know, the insects are like, man, this is super tasty. And they just can get out of control. And so sometimes we do have to come in and do knockdown sprays. From a commercial standpoint, each state has different regulations for cannabis production on what they can use. Um, because since technically cannabis is still federally illegal, there are no pesticides that um, are EPA registered that have cannabis on the label. But they are approving products for hemp production. So you are starting to find hemp on some pesticide labels um, because that's been federally accepted now. And so you can find products that way, but it's the, the hemp products are very limited now, on uh, what you can use. Now, when using pesticides, is there a good analogy that you have so people can understand really how they're supposed to be used? 
um, any way that we can understand, um, you know, uh, uh, relate to the way that the pesticides are used to help the plant? Well, uh, you know, pesticides, I consider, I mean, they're, they're important. I mean, I, I mean, yes, my dream in life is to never for us use pesticides again. But the reality is we have all the cheap food we have because of pesticides at this point. We've gotten, you know, we've gotten rid of malaria and well, not completely away, but we don't. It's not a problem here in the U.S. because of pesticides. But I consider pesticides the, the last thing we try because, again, we come in and we try cultural practices to see if there's something we can change in the way you grow. Can you prune the pests out? Then we go to the biocontrols. Then we head to the pesticides. Um, but pesticides, in a way, I think we talked about them being kind of like an antibiotic in a sense that um, if you have a health problem, you take this to try to remedy it. But the problem is, is pesticides have been so overused, just like antibiotics, there's a lot of resistance issues. And that's where I come in quite often in a lot of floriculture production for flowering plants. I don't get them calling me saying, hey, we're worried about pesticide runoff and the environment. It's, we've sprayed everything. We can't kill this pest. What, can, what beneficial can we use? Because the chemicals just aren't working. And so that's where these beneficials can play an important role. Also, what a lot of farmers and growers are realizing is that the integration of using beneficial bugs when they can and then only using the spray when they're needed instead of spraying all the time. We actually get longer life out of the pesticide as in the sense of bugs aren't going to be resistant to it in two to three years. We're going to get many more years out of the product if we use it less and more targeted in our program. Now, who regulates pesticides? The EPA. Okay. Now, the... um environmental damage that is done a lot of that is blamed on pesticides is that rightfully so i mean well i mean just like anything else we have to overdo everything as one is good tens better you know i mean we all know when we were a kid what size of coke was when you go to fast food my gosh the one from arby's doesn't even fit in my cup holder anymore it's so big it's like a two-handed jug so unfortunately you know, pesticides have made farming easier, you know, and don't, don't send me hate mail, but you understand what I mean in the sense of, you know, back in the day, if you had a plot and like grasshoppers came in, you'd be out there trying to smash them, smoke them out or do something. Now you apply a chemical and they die. Um, and again, it's gotten us as a country to where we are because we can produce so much food inexpensively but at a cost that we've had a lot of pesticide contamination in the groundwater and in the environment. Um, and we're starting to come to terms with that more. Also, pesticides have gotten really expensive. Um, I don't think some people realize this because, you know, they go down to Home Depot and they buy something and it's just a few bucks. But when you've got to treat 10,000 acres, it gets really expensive. So growers um, are being more conservative about applying because of the cost of the chemistries. And again, looking to where more can, hey, can we encourage our native beneficials by planting plants to bring in our native beneficials and try to encourage that where in the past farming and growing has all been such a sterile environment. Now they're planting berms through farm fields with sunflowers and alyssum and things like that to feed the native good guys that they can disperse into the farm fields so that they can reduce their pesticide usage. Are all pesticides bad? Are there any good pesticides? 
a matter of opinion. I mean, do you like malaria? No. Then I would say pesticides are good for that. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is people overuse them and don't understand them. I, I spend most of my time identifying insects because people will say, hey, I've got this problem. I sprayed this, this, and this. And I say, well, that's never going to work because actually you have this. Mm. You should have done that, that, and that. And so all that pesticide that went out should have never been applied. Now, what or, about the um, – oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, I should say, or they're treating for dead insects that have already been killed by native beneficials. Mm. Yeah, so that's part of my question, which is the Korean natural farming, regenerative farming, um, organic certifications, um, no use of pesticides – um, I know there's no certification for cannabis, um, but the uh, attempts at um, natural, right? All, you've, you've heard of the regenerative farming, no, you know, all organic uh, inputs. They create their own inputs. Uh, what happens in that scenario with pests? They get pests. They <laughs> for them. There's, I, I don't, I mean, sure, somebody somewhere may have one plant that they're like, hey, I grew it without treating it. If you start growing plants and you're going to end up with some kind of issue, the idea is, is that if you're healthier, um, then you can fight off things better. But still, I've seen, I've been, I've dealt with a lot of enough living soil guys, KNF guys and all that. They still end up with pest issues because at the end of the day, you're growing a monoculture and you're pushing a crop to get to harvest. There's nothing natural about it, and the, the pests take extreme advantage of it. And, you know, even USDA organic, that does not mean they're not applying pesticides. Yeah. Um, it's just they're using pesticides that are approved for use in that production. And I'll have people say, oh, we don't use pesticides. I'm like, well, what do you do? Oh, well, we're mixing up soap, and then we're putting some oil. That's a pesticide. If it kills the insect, it's a pesticide. All right, Suzanne, we have some questions from listeners. We need to take a break. Break. Don't fly away. We'll be right back. We all whistle, and this is true. We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do. We don't need Robin stealing. And now more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBN. All right, there you go. Good job, Noah. Welcome back into Understanding CBD. We're here with Suzanne Wainwright Evans, horticultural entomologist, owner of Bug Lady Consulting, answering all our questions here today about bugs and shedding some light that uh, we all really needed. Um, so we have some good questions here, actually, from. Uh, an offline caller here. Uh, I'm a cannabis user, but don't buy from the dispensary. How can I tell if it's been treated with pesticides? Uh, uh, well, you could probably send a sample off to um, a testing lab in your state. 
Um, unfortunately, you can't use any of the federal government testing labs that they use for organic um, out organic goods um, because you can't you can't ship it across state lines and they can't test cannabis. But find a testing lab. I just you know knowing what I know about black market growing, there's just no way I would anybody that I love I would never let them use black market stuff. That's really? Not nope. All right, so what's no the caution? What's the caution for people buying weed on the street? The pesticides they use. They're using stuff that even my ornamental growers won't use. And they're applying it way more frequently than is needed. Why do um, they use it? Uh, because they don't know how to grow without it. Um, they've not had, like if you're a corn farmer, you go to the extension office and they say June 1st, do this, March 2nd, do this. They have educational programs all year long. There's nothing for uh, cannabis growers, um, and there's still very limited education for them on how properly to manage them. And that's what I've been doing. I've been teaching tons of workshops, teaching people how to manage the pests without using these pesticides that should not be used on these consumables. All right. I've got a question in from a farmer friend of ours. He texted it in. He writes, I'm going to grow hemp next year. Do you recommend starting with seed or buying clones, Suzanne? Seed clones, you run a really high risk of bringing in um, the cannabis aphid, this boridon species. That's been a real problem. You run a risk of bringing in hemp russet mite also, which you're not going to bring those in on seed. All right. Thank you. Really, I heard you mention this earlier. It didn't come up, but um, there's a specific bug that only lives on cannabis. Is that right? There's a ha- there's a handful of oh, them. Oh, really? The the it there's one. The genus is Fordon. The species is cannabis, and they call it the Fordon aphid, the cannabis aphid, the hemp aphid, the bagang aphid. That's all the same name for it. Um, and it only lives on the cannabis plant. It does not live on hops. It doesn't live on any other plant that we've ever seen yet. Smart bug. Um, and so you get it by bringing it in on cuttings, um, or somebody comes to visit you and they have it and they bring it on their clothing. And the same thing for the hemp russet mite. It's a super, super tiny mite. You need high, high magnification to see it. Same thing, it only lives on cannabis. Hmm. So the risk of um, getting a clone is the bug. Bug guy, who knew? Who knew? Yeah, yeah. If you bring in clones, you better have a quarantine area and a whole protocol to make sure you treat for pretty much everything to make sure you don't bring it in. Mm -hmm. Good advice, good advice. Okay, this one's not as much, uh, this is a text-in question. It's not as uh, bug-related, but um, it's cannabis-related and growing, so maybe you can help. Um, I have a small home grow, and I need to determine the sex of the plants. Can you please help? There are 9 billion Facebook groups um, (laughs) that there are people that will help other growers grow. Um, And there's tons of photos online, too. Um, and I mean, I, I know that the, the males get where they develop the pollen. Gotcha. Okay. So, so plant, yeah, that's not you, the, not the sweet spot for the questions for you. But, uh, another question we have here, is it okay to eat bugs? Mm-hmm. I don't want to because they're my friends, but this is the way, I mean, they've been doing it for years, centuries in other countries. And there's a big movement um for uh insect consumption with crickets cricket powders lots of people are eating cicadas my only concern would be i wouldn't pick a bug on the sidewalk up and eat it because insects carry parasites and i don't think you want 
parasites uh, that way. But the again, the farm reared ones for human consumption, those are they're a clean crop. Ah, that's good to know. Suzanne, we're at the end of our show today. I want to thank you very much for all the wisdom you departed on us today and, and really just scratching the surface. How can people get in touch with you? Um, so I generally focus on working with commercial growers and sometimes don't have time to, to work with all the home growers. But uh, social media, I'm um, on Instagram at Bug Lady Suzanne. I do have a Facebook page for Bug Lady Consulting where I post my upcoming lectures and workshops that I'm doing. And I do have a website, uh, bugladyconsulting.com, where I do have links to my articles, again, my upcoming lectures, and some pest management information, and links to where you can buy biocontrol agents. Very good. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much, Suzanne. Thank you much, Suzanne. We're coming right back with uh, your favorite Top Gun, Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez. Stay right there. more of Understanding CBD with Max and Steven on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Ah, uh, there's that music. I missed that, Jake. Welcome back in to Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hello there, Steven Wallman. And we're here on this beautiful Sunday with our Doc G in Doc G's Corner. Atlantis Medical Wellness Center, Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez. What do you got for us today? How are you all doing today? Wonderful, wonderful. Bugging out. Well, I am Dr. Ben Gonzalez, and this is Dr. G's Corner. According to the CDC, the top five causes of death in the United States are, number one, heart disease, number two, cancer, number three, unintentional injuries or accidents, number four, chronic lung disease, and number five, stroke. And I would like to mention two special considerations for a close number six being Alzheimer's disease and diabetes. It turns out that there's been a significant increase in Alzheimer's over the last five years with more than 10% increased surge and diabetes increased over by over 15%. Over 40% of the general population is pre-diabetic and most are not aware until the diabetes diagnosis. Chronic diseases are among the most preventable and costly health conditions in the United States. The top reasons for these chronic diseases are poor diet and exercise, smoking, and excess alcohol. These are 100% modifiable and preventable. The non-modifiable contri uh, contributors are hereditary and age. Though there is not much you can do about your genes, there is a great deal you can do about taking care of those genes you were born with. And though you cannot do anything about time and aging, you can do something about how you age. Most chronic diseases are preventable. Chronic disease stops you from enjoying life, decreases workforce production, and stops you from enjoying the company of your loved ones. Why, why would we not want to prevent a chronic unhealthy situation? There is another less talked about factor to chronic diseases, and that's environmental toxins. Environmental toxins are chemicals that disrupt your body's biological systems. They can change the way your sex hormones work. They can increase your chances for diabetes, Alzheimer's, autoimmune diseases, and heart diseases by interrupting your normal biology. These toxins can be naturally occurring, but are mostly man-made byproducts of processed foods, plastics, pesticides, Teflon, artificial air fresheners and deodorizers, and even hair colors and dyes, and much, much more. This is a subject 
to which multi-day symposiums and scientific discussions are dedicated. And there is so much more to say about this complicated subject. Though it is difficult and nearly impossible to eliminate all environmental toxin exposures, there are things you can do to reduce risk. Here are the top three ways to minimize toxin exposures. Number one, avoid plastic containers. I know this is a tough one. If you use plastic, never place anything plastic in a microwave. Never store bottled water in a warm environment, plastics, especially in plastics, and use glass whenever possible when it comes to food storage. Fil number two, filter your water. When you wash your hands, foods, and home surfaces, this matters. Think of the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Number three, eat organic foods as much as possible. I know this is difficult to be 100%. A quick trick is to make the most common fruits and veggies you eat 100% organic. For me, it is apples and spinach and broccoli, things that I eat every day. I ensure 100% those things are organic. Ensure that your meats you commonly purchase are not overly processed and 100% organic. There is, of course, much more to this issue. The more vulnerable are the youth and pregnant women and women able to become pregnant. Things like secondhand smoke, pesticides, and highly processed foods need to be minimized and eliminated. Though you can't prevent every cause of death, you can take the responsibility to lower your risk. Healing from chronic diseases starts with improving diet and exercise. Increasing antioxidant levels can help eliminate these environmental toxins. It turns out a high-quality CBD can be a powerful tool in the beginning of healing from chronic disease processes and help with the detoxification of environmental exposures. Combining a clean diet with a high-quality CBD can help lead you out of a chronic disease process and prevent further damage from future toxin exposures. For more information about the medical use of CBD oil and how it can help you detox and improve your health, you can contact me directly on Instagram at bengonzalez underscore MD, that's B-E-N-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z -E underscore MD, and you can also call the clinic to set up a telephone consultation with me at 301-622-2722 and say you heard me on this show. Well, guys, I hope that helped, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. That does. Very relevant. You know, we're talking to... Uh about pesticides all day. Now people have an understanding of that impact on your health. It's not just uh, the environment. That's right. You know, thanks, Dr. Jay. We appreciate that. Uh, we also want to thank uh, the bug lady. Bug lady. Suzanne Wainwright. There's so many other questions and uh, people that reached out to us, and apologies we didn't get to all of that, but we'll sure to get those messages over to Suzanne if you send them to us. Yes, we do. And thank everyone for listening. We appreciate it here on another week of Understanding CBD. Uh, also want to remind you that the show is brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Please stop by maxandstevens.com and pick up a bottle. We have a new roll-on out there now. You can also call or text 443-743-2444. God bless you all. Have a happy Sunday. We'll catch you on The Rebound next Sunday. <laughs>